Hey everyone, welcome to the Mindful Mama Club podcast, the shits and giggles guide to motherhood. I'm your host Gemma and this podcast will be full of all the unfiltered conversations, relatable mum life stories and all the belly laughs I needed as a bougie first time mum in a sea of shit stories and negative Nancys. The Mindful Mama Club is here to remind you through pregnancy, birth and beyond that you are never alone. So, if you're looking for laughter, tips, tricks and information on how to feel empowered in your journey to motherhood, you are in the right place. So tie up that mum bun, grab that lukewarm coffee and let's dive headfirst into the rollercoaster ride that is motherhood together. We will be talking about topics in this podcast that may be triggering for some. Please always prioritise your own mental health and skip this episode if you find any of this content upsetting. Welcome back to the Shits and Giggles Guide to Motherhood. Today I have one of my lovely school friends, <laughs> um, Becky Brightman. Um, he's going to come on and talk to us about sleep training. Um, if you follow me on Instagram, you will know that I am not shy of having my own views around baby sleep. Um cry out sleep training as a whole um so when I was chatting to Becky I thought that it would actually be really lovely to get her on and kind of get her view on it um as a sleep nanny and also um yeah kind of have a bit of a debate about um both our feelings towards it and hopefully educate ourselves and also um some of you guys as well so welcome Becky thank you so much for coming to chat with me thanks for having Um, me you're very welcome. Do you want to kind of give yourself a bit of an intro? Yeah. So I'm Becky. I have a daughter, Amelia. She is the same age as Gemma's daughter, Pepper. They were born a week apart. Yeah, I think which so. Which is yeah, crazy because yeah. Gemma and I went to secondary school together and now our little girls are about to start going to school together. So that's that's weird, like full circle stuff. Um, Amelia is my only daughter. Um, and oh, it's been a journey. <laughs> motherhood <laughs> motherhood did not turn out the way I expected um but that has been a journey full of blessings as well as challenges um yeah, yeah we've had oh you name it I've had it <laughs> any challenge you could you could think of as a parent I'm pretty sure I can tick quite a few of them off the list now feeding issues Sleeping issues, obviously that's why we're here. Behavioural problems, some potential. We're exploring neurodivergence with her right now and what that looks like for her and for us as a family. And um, that journey through motherhood for me um, has also involved loss and grief and um, mental health problems. And so that's, that's why I'm so grateful to now do what I do. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot involved in my role and my job that people don't necessarily appreciate is there um, yeah. until people are in need of it, you know. But there's a lot of, and very similar to what Gemma will do with her um, preparing mothers for beginning that journey, I'm very much one of those people who will hold mothers' hands during that journey where they're really struggling. Um, yeah, which is what? Which is all about support, isn't it? Absolutely. And empathy and compassion Mm -hmm. and just saying, this is okay to find this hard. That's okay. You know, and so I feel feel really blessed and grateful that I can do that for other mums because I could not have got to the place where I'm at now without my tribe. You know, my mum tribe who I lean on. Yeah, definitely. And I think you just talked about obviously some challenges that you faced as a mother. And I think we we have layers to us as people, but we definitely have layers to us as mothers. And once you start to strip back those layers, you find out things about people that you may not have even realized. And actually a lot of those layers lead us to the journeys that we're on now. Exactly. So obviously that's exactly why I'm here. Yeah. One of my layers has led me to this. Yeah. And one of your layers as a mother has, has led, led me to, to um, work. Yeah. Working exactly. with a sleep nanny. Yeah, exactly. Um, so do you want to tell us about what you do? What What is a sleep nanny? I love that question. What's a sleep nanny? <laughs> I like to use like the 
comparison or the analogy of a personal trainer. Yeah. So Gemma, if you were to say, I want a personal trainer, why would you go down that route? Why would you decide I need somebody like that to help me with this journey? Because I can't do it myself. Okay. Because I feel like I can't do it myself. Right. Yeah, I um, need support. And what would your goals be, do you think? Well, mine would probably be weight weight loss. Weight loss. (laughs) But would it be for like health Um, and vitality? Yeah. Being healthier, change of lifestyle, that kind of thing. And that's a lot of the goals that my clients have. Mm -hmm. Becky, we just want to be healthy. And we're not right now. We can't make healthy exercise choices. We can't make healthy food choices because everything we're doing is for convenience or for what's easiest. But actually, as parents, our health, we're suffering. So is our child. And we're just really concerned about everybody. And we're not enjoying parenthood the way we feel we deserve to, you know. So my role is I'm the personal trainer on that journey. So a personal trainer, you wouldn't give a personal trainer your money and then never turn up to a training session or expect the personal trainer to do the exercises for you or to eat the food. I mean, they probably do eat the foods that they tell you to put on a diet plan because they're living their truth, aren't they? And they're, they are the embodiment of what they believe in, but they're not going to come to your house and spoon feed it to you. The onus is on the person. Okay. These are my goals. I want you to help me with them. So the personal trainer, one of the, one of the main goals is I'm going to keep you on track and I'm going to, I'm going to hold you to the goals you've told me you want to achieve. And I'm going to tell you how realistic they are. I'm going to give my professional judgment to tell you, this is probably the best way for you to go about it. But I think crucially, if you were a personal trainer now, Gemma, and you had one person come to you who was already pretty athletic, they just wanted mm-hmm. to reach the next level of their potential. And then you had another person who came to you who was a complete novice. They had no idea what they were doing, literally had never done any real serious exercise in their life. Would you approach coaching those two clients in an identical way? No, absolutely not. Exactly. And that's exactly, that's exactly what I do. So this idea of all sleep training is like this. Every single client, I can say this with honesty, every single client I've helped and coached through a sleep training journey, they have all had a completely unique experience because you've got to mm. go from where that family are. And crucially, you've got to start with where the child is. Yeah, and also what they're comfortable with. And what the family are comfortable with. And ultimately... It's not about, okay, you've told me you want to sleep train, so this is what you're going to do, and this is how you're going to do it, and this is how long it's going to take, and this is going to be the outcome. No, Mm -hmm. it's not about that. Because there will be families who say, we're really struggling with this, but we really don't want to go down that route. Or this is something we're really struggling with, but this is fine. We're happy with that. This is okay. We're just concerned about the implications of this event. So it might be... Mm -hmm. We are done with bed sharing. It's not working for yeah. us. Our marriage is suffering. We kept, we keep being kicked in the face. My husband's snoring keeps waking the child up anyway. No one's benefiting from this. How on earth do we move away from this? They sleep great. We just need them to not be in our bed anymore. Or it might yeah. be, I'm about to go back to work and I'm getting up constantly through the night, which I was happy to do before, but, or I've just returned to work and now I'm like, oh God, I can't possibly keep, like, I I have to make some kind of change here. Yeah. But I don't know how to go about that, you know. So it's it's just about if you if you need support, that's what I'm here for. Yeah. To say, okay. But are we being selfish? So those examples that you just gave, valid, 100%. I can totally understand how people get there. But what I wonder is, like, are we then putting our needs before the needs of the child. So it's like, mm. oh, I'm tired. I don't want to get up. I'm going back to work. But actually, what do they need? Mm. And is there a very fine line between still being a responsive parent and mm. putting your child first? Which, don't get me wrong, I definitely think there are plenty of occasions where we need to focus mm. on ourselves and put ourselves first to be a better parent. Yeah. But are we falling into a trap of forgetting what they need and actually spending so much time worrying about what we need? Yeah, I think, think I think I see all of those. I see parents mm-hmm. who only talk about themselves. And sometimes it's hard to not jump on that judgment of well, what about your child? Is this right for them? Is mm-hmm. this, you yeah. know, 
um, I was approached, I'm not going to name any names or anything. I'm going to keep this really anonymous, but I was approached recently um, for a really young baby who had suffered a really serious health event. Um, and I was really quite shocked that I'd been approached in the first place. And I just said, look, have you had clearance for medical professionals that this will be safe? And they hadn't, they, all they cared about was the fact that there was a lot of crying in the night and they wanted to sleep. Mm. And I said, but they've suffered a horrific injury. They're probably in pain, right? That's probably why they're crying, you know. Yeah. So or, tra- or traumatized, obviously, right? depending on absolutely, what the is, absolutely. Yeah. So there's there's that. But then there's there's the other families who've said, "Look, we've come to you against our better judgment," mm. and we were fine when it was just us who was being affected by this. But it's become completely apparent now that this is not in the best interest of our child anymore which hurts yeah. us because if given the option, we would rather keep things as they are, but childcare setting have reported such as, you know, uh, lots of drowsiness in the day maybe, or loss of appetite or behaviors being affected. That's quite a common one with preschoolers. They're reporting mm. that the behavior is, is getting quite difficult to manage at nursery. And we, we it's all coming down to the sleep. And yeah. we we kind of waited and we wanted to see, are they going to grow out of it? Is this just going to be a phase? But actually, we, we, we have to accept now that the way we wanted to do it, perhaps for our child, isn't in their best interest. And I think that if it's not in the best interest of the family and if it's not in the best interest of the child, well, then they're not going to approach me anyway. Yeah. You know, I'm well, there. Yeah, I, you'd hope so. Right. I'm there for people who need to make a change because mm. the best interests of the family as a unit yeah. are being affected. And I think as a mum, I think that's one of the things that um, I struggled with because I don't know whether you remember this, but I didn't want to sleep train either. Yeah. Do, do you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was a teacher before I was a sleep coach. And mm-hmm. like most people, I had an idea of what sleep training was like and as mm-hmm. a and as a primary teacher who has been through a lot of safeguarding training i was fully aware of the implication neglect can have on brain development and attachment and all that stuff so in my head sleep training just fell under that umbrella of neglect and there was no way i was going to do that um because i wanted to be a fully responsive parent and I committed to that for a long time. I would say, what was it? 19 months, I think, by the time. I, so I'd returned to work. It was six months into returning to work. And my, I think my mental health took a big hit anyway, becoming a mum. But the lack of sleep was, um, God, what's the word? It was torture. It was yeah. really hard. But again, I was prepared to do that. I was prepared to be the one. Adam was going to work. My husband, he was going to work. So I was the one who was getting up. I was the one because I was breastfeeding through the night and I was doing all the things that I really, really truly felt like this is what I want to do because this is what I believe is in the best interest of my daughter. But then it became clear to me, actually, this is affecting her now. Yeah. And not only is it affecting her, but actually I'm resenting her now. <clears throat> Because she she's yeah. waking up and I'm doing all the things that she's that I think she needs. So I'm feeding her and I'm cuddling her and I'm doing all the things, but she's still not going to sleep. And we're both awake for hours. This isn't healthy for anybody. Mm-hmm. I need to find a way of still being the parent I want to be, but I need to solve this for her. But also I do need to solve this for me because I was not the parent I wanted to be. My my mental health already took a big hit becoming a mum. Um, yeah. PND and all that stuff that is not a, that is not a fun time. And sleep, I you know I, I look back on it now and go, well, yeah, actually, a lot of that was to do with the fact that I wasn't I didn't get any recoup. You know, there was no recovery time. It was all the time, and I needed that, and she needed that time to properly sleep and properly restore. You know. Yeah. Um, 
So it was kind of like, a, oh, am I going to have to do this now? Am I going to have to go down a route I didn't want to go down? But actually, I'm pouring from an empty vessel now. And actually, yeah. does she want a mum who tries to do everything perfectly? Or does she just want a mum who's happy and healthy? Yeah, and ultimately, look, none of us are perfect. We're all learning. Exactly, it's, exactly. We're learning on the job, guys. That's exactly. what we're all doing. Oh, God, we're just winging it, aren't we? Just day to day, just there's... Yeah, yeah. The next, okay, this is the next thing. What? Where's that <laughs> manual I was promised, you know? Um, so it got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm going to... Yeah, I'm going to have to put mental health first. And I'm going to mm-hmm. have to put her first. Clearly, what I'm doing isn't working for her. She's yeah. awake a lot of the time this this isn't healthy um and actually a friend it was your friend charlotte yeah sleep trained with a lady and left this amazing review on her facebook page and i was like oh, what you can do this but you can do it in a way that you're happy with doing it and it doesn't have to involve harmful crying like cry it out mm. i need to know more about this contacted the lady and that began this whole journey. So we sleep trained with Amelia yeah. for two weeks and it was so incredible. I was a complete convert. Within days, I was like, oh, how could, how did I think, where did I get that idea from that this was a bad idea? Like she changed our lives. She changed yeah. our lives. And I could, and I thought, oh my gosh, I need to do this for other people in exactly the same way that I know you've gone down that route with the hypnobirthing and the milk mentoring, this idea of Mm -hmm. this lights a fire in me. I really Mm -hmm. see how I can help other women in the way that this woman has helped me. Yeah. And that's how I So what was it about this that was different to what you thought sleep training was? What, What is your sleep training? What does it look like compared to what we we believe sleep training to be is that effectively cry it out is yeah, obviously yeah. a lot of people think of sleep training think of cry it out um what is different about the sleep training that you do it's responsive and you can be i mean you said i think you you can be the responsive parent you want to be and still have a baby or a child who's happy and content in their own environment and can sleep all night. Like you literally can have both. Um, yeah. And I think this idea of cry it out, I mean, it's, it's the 19, it's like the 1950s, 60s advice that our grandmothers would have had when raising our mm-hmm. mothers and fathers. They were told, yeah. oh, if the baby cries, just put them in the pram at the bottom of the garden so you can't hear them. Yeah. Like that's literally what they were told. That's cry it out. And I don't say that because I'm sure there are people of, older generations listening I don't say that to criticize anybody because they were just following the advice of the day but yeah we're all learning aren't we as as generations change we learn new things and we there's different research and exactly and science and research and knowledge and understanding into things like brain development and child development they're so much further on than they were um and that's I think what people still imagine quite out to be um, unfortunately, mm. it does still happen around the world. Like, I mean, I think the example I sometimes give when I speak to people about this, um, mostly it's families worried about, are you going to tell me to cry it out? And I say, mm-hmm. no, I'm not going to. The kind of harm that cry it out inflicts on children, that's not accidental harm. Yeah. That's neglect. That's putting a child mm-hmm. in a room, shutting the door and not responding regardless. Yeah, and there's lots of research to show that babies, obviously, when you do use cry out as a method, that their cortisol levels go through the roof because they're extremely stressed. And yes, maybe after a day or two, they don't cry anymore. And you're like, wow, they slept through the night. But actually what's happening is their body is still extremely stressed. Mm -hmm. They just stop making any sound because they know that nobody's coming. And that is just absolutely heartbreaking. heartbreaking. So for those parents... They do it and think it worked. It worked. It didn't. And they don't necessarily realize no. the effect that it's having on that child. And no. you're realizing that no one's coming for you. Exactly. Exactly. And that's harmful. And that's the kind of thing yeah. that causes attachment disorders. And mm-hmm. um, that causes um, abnormalities in brain development. I mean, I've been shown, I'm sure you have as well, Gemma, but I've been shown yeah. brain scans side by side yeah. of three-year-olds 
one as a you know neurotypical child who was raised in a in a responsive household you know with parents who met their needs and then I've been shown brain scans next to that of three-year-olds who have suffered through horrific neglect and abuse and the differences in this the size and shape of the brain certain areas of the brain being overdeveloped other areas of the brain being underdeveloped that's the kind of thing that neglect causes Hmm. but a parent who wants to help their child to sleep better for their health and well-being that's the child's well-being not even necessarily the parent's well-being that's not a neglectful parent that's a proactive parent saying I see you're struggling with this lack of sleep I see you're being affected Mm. by that and I'm going to do a responsible journey of working with somebody who is a professional who can help me to gently and gradually Mm. build up your independence it's not about just leaving them it's about teaching them in exactly the same way we teach them to walk first you hold both Mm -hmm. hands right and then they get their balance and then you hold them with one hand and then they get better before you know it they're running it's learning it's teaching them to ride a bike it's teaching them to tie their shoes it's teaching them to feed themselves Mm -hmm. that's what it is and you don't you know a child who is used to sharing a bed with you or being fed to sleep or being held to sleep is not going to cope by being put in a cot and abandoned in the room they're just going to freak out Mm -hmm. so that's just not an appropriate place to start yeah and also you talk there about like babies so when when we're talking about age as well obviously Mm. there's an age appropriate time to start using these methods if at all Mm. but obviously you're not going to do this on a newborn baby who's born extremely underdeveloped and has no they're, they're no they're not developed enough to physically be able to help themselves to go to sleep because they need that assistance they need help from us as parents to help them regulate and to feel comfort they think and i've said this many times before you put them down i'm going to get eaten by a bear they literally think like a caveman you're <laughs> yeah. their only safety yeah. so they think if you put me down i cry where's my mum because something's going to eat me that's that's mm. how they think so obviously when a newborn baby is put through these types of methods that's doesn't seem like it's the right thing to do do you have like an age when people come to you like right before this age absolutely not we will not even discuss this yeah absolutely um if a baby comes to me younger than five months old Mm -hmm. I tell them absolutely not at all formal sleep training for a child that small is not gonna for a start it's not gonna achieve what you want because that child's not ready for anything like that. There are Mm -hmm. things that you can do. We call it sleep shaping. It's not so much pushing for an outcome within a certain amount of time. It's just about getting yourself into a rhythm that works for you. And that can involve, that can involve giving babies some time in a sleep space, but they don't have to be asleep when they're in that sleep space. They could Mm -hmm. be awake with a mobile or something over the top of them looking, but it's just showing them this is a nice place to be, isn't it? Yeah, literally all it is. Feeling comfortable. Yeah, or maybe establishing a really sort of simple bedtime routine, but something that's nice and repetitive so that baby builds up an association with the room being in like, I don't know, a certain song playing or building positive sleep associations. Definitely. So what about co-sleeping? So obviously, I feel like we're very obsessed with, with sleep in this country. Um, Whereas in other cultures, it is very normal for children to sleep in the bed with their parent, have a very vague routine and all the family will all go to sleep at the same time. Whereas it seems here in the UK, a good baby is a baby that sleeps through the night. Oh, are they good for you? That's basically saying, Mm. are they sleeping? Um, Mm. And oh, you must get them in their own bed. That's bad for your relationship. That's a crutch. All Mm. of those things. Can sleep training work in tandem with a family who want to co-sleep with their children? There's layers to that question. I feel like we need to break that down. Okay, yeah. So let's let's go back to the part you said about why are we so obsessed with sleep in this country? Yeah. I think that there are countries around the world that do put a greater emphasis on baby sleeping 
independently and through the night. Mm. And I think that those countries, I mean, UK, the UK is behind Mm -hmm. Australia, Australia and the States are a good five to 10 years ahead of us when it comes to things like sleep coaching. Yeah. Um, Which is what makes being in that industry in this country so exciting, because it's something that I think is going to become more understood. Yeah. And more accepted. Um, There are cultures around the world that I think they're just, I think, I think it comes down to modern life. Then mm-hmm. this is just my opinion. Yeah. But I think that there are like America, Australia and the UK are some of the countries who are perhaps the most westernized. They're the ones where there's a lot of pressure on women in, in our community, in our society, right? In our community, in our society. And the same with the States and the same with um, Australia, Women are expected to be all things to all people. They're expected to be the housekeeper. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to be the person who raises the children. They're supposed to cook the meals. They're supposed to feed the husband. They're supposed to wash the clothes, you know. But they're also expected to be glamorous with hair in place and lashes on and nails done and skin glowing and face on. And they're also supposed to be slim, And they're also supposed to be a career person who contributes to the financial stability of the home. And they're lazy if they don't have a job. But if they do have a career, they're selfish for sending their kids to a nursery. Women cannot win. And I think that there are cultures who are less like that. Um, There are cultures where things are I don't know if old school is the word, maybe traditional is is, is better. That traditional view of what a woman should be, that isn't the view of women universally. There are views, there are countries where women do still take that more traditional role. And that's not me saying I think that's better or worse. That I believe is just the difference between this society and others. So I think that in other societies where women don't have all of those pressures on them, then it probably is easier to say, okay, well, I'll, you know, I, I can, I can feed through the night because we can sleep in tomorrow. It doesn't matter. You know, we can do, but actually if you've got to get up at 6am and you've got to get on a train to get to work, mm. but you're you're waking through the night, if you've got a high power career, I mean, I've had some women who are, they are doctors, they are surgeons, they are lawyers, they are police officers, they are firefighters, they, they are, they have really high powered, important jobs, and they need to be able to function well to do to to excel at their job. And actually, they have a right to excel in that career, if that's what they want to do. And they have a right Well, and also do their job safely. Exactly. I mean, especially the doctors, the doctors and surgeons, they are the ones who say I'm scared now. And because if I make a mistake, that's someone's life. And I, I have had clients mm. like that. And I have had clients who have said, I have, I'm supposed to do a commute. I drive myself to London every day. We live about an hour outside of London, just for context. Um, I'm supposed to drive to London on my commute. And I'm afraid to do that because I am a danger to everyone on the road because I am that tired. Mm, yeah. um, having said that, there's actually been, even since I've been doing this job, there has been an upturn for me in the number of families in India who I've worked with. Okay. Now, India is a family, uh, family is a country. Yeah, India India is a country, just for context for people who don't know. Their, their, their way of life is very much, it's just completely normal for the baby to sleep in bed with the parents until the next baby's born. And then, mm-hmm. however, I don't know what, the three-year-old, whatever, goes in their own bed at that point because new baby's in the bed and that's, that's just normal. Mm-hmm. Um, just the way it just happens. The way yeah. it is. Um, but I have worked with a whole community of um, people who come from Indian backgrounds. Mostly they live in Greenwich in London, but their relatives live in Mumbai in India. And they are this one tight community. And I've literally been passed around from family to family around this community (laughs) um, because they have reached a new place in their lives and in their needs. The women don't want to stay at home. They want to be and some of these women, they're like, they're, they're massive in the financial world and they do amazing things with tech and they, they have these amazing careers and they want to do that. Mm. 
And they're like, do you yeah. know what? I mean, I had, I had a family who live in Mumbai and I worked with their six-year-old. And the reason they wanted to help, they wanted help from me was because, and this is a big deal in India, she got into the top private school in Mumbai. Now that's huge. Like mm. where your kid goes to school, anyone wants their kid to do well, right? But out there, like that was mm. so important to them. But she was in a, she was in a sleep schedule where she slept at midnight and woke at 10 a.m. But wow. she was going to need to get on the bus at six. How old is she? She was six at the time. Okay. She's older now. She'll be mm. about seven or eight by now. But she was six at the time. And they were like, Becky, help us. We've got two weeks to get her on a schedule for this new school. And mm-hmm. that was so important to them. Um, the nanny was involved. It was this whole, it's this whole team. Um, but we, we did it, you know, we, 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 nudged, we nudged her gently and it, it took the full two weeks and she was <laughs> catching up a little bit on the weekends, but we got there, you know? So, um, all of those families said, we're really worried about how our families are going to judge us. Yeah. And they all said, we just, we don't want a bed share anymore. It mm. doesn't work for us. And it wasn't even that they were going to have another baby and they needed to make room and they didn't know how to do that. It just didn't align for them, even though culturally that's how their family felt they should parent. And I, you know, the the older generations in their families were like, why are you paying for something like that when they're just going to stop when, when they're ready? They were saying, but we're ready for it to stop now. Hmm. And I think as parents, you have the right to make that decision. Yeah, of course. And their child was six. They weren't going to have any more. They'd already made that decision. They were one and done. Yeah. They didn't want a growing six-year-old who was tall for her age in their bed anymore. And I think, okay, well, that's fair enough, you know? And actually, what right do we have to judge anyone? Yeah, and like you said, you're making decisions that are right for your family and you're making comfortable and soft decisions in order to make those changes you're not saying to the six-year-old get out the bed tomorrow we're not going to come when you call for us tough luck Mm. it's it's making that some some families go down that route but a family who's going to take that route they're not going to pay someone like me to help them with that they're just going to do it they're just going to do it anyway yeah exactly they're just going to do it Yeah. yeah so how do you think let's talk about the methods that you use then obviously we've talked a lot about sleep training as a whole um what we obviously talked to you don't use cry out so how do you i know obviously every family is totally different but let's just give a scenario um or talk through your own journey if you want with amelia um and what that looked like for you how how do you still be a responsive parent using the methods that you offer to parents Mm -hmm. so I think the most important thing is I want to come back to what I said before at the beginning when we talked about personal trainers Mm -hmm. and I said would you take two clients and approach their weight loss journey or exercise journey or fitness journey in the same way you wouldn't Mm -hmm. you absolutely wouldn't you'd start with where that person was that's exactly what sleep training is about because it's the child is learning something new Mm -hmm. and you start with what they already know yeah. Or what they already need and you build on that mm-hmm. so the methods you use are completely dependent on that very start point so there will be children who are used to being put in a bed and night night love you and then mum and dad go yeah okay fine if they're used to seeing you walk out the room and that doesn't bother them if there's something else to do with sleep that's affecting them we're not going to suddenly keep mum and dad in the room unnecessarily because that's going to confuse them yeah or potentially distract as well if they're a, if they're a really really tuned in alert little little one who's like what you doing what you doing they're not going to mm. go to sleep because they're just going to think mum's there for a conversation yeah but then you'll you'll have the other little ones who you can't even put them down and they're screaming you know mm. so you've, you've got to go you've got to go with where that child is and you've got to just You've got to know where you're going. That's the next thing. You've got to know where the little one's at, what they can do. But you also need to know what the goal is and how long you're going to um, allow or um, put in place, how much time you're going to set aside for this progress to be achieved. So it, it might just be, I'm happy, I'm fine to keep feeding through the night. I'm fine to do that. I just need them to be able to fall asleep by themselves. Mm-hmm. I can't, 
I can't do the rocking anymore. My shoulder is done. I'm having physio on air. I'm in, you know, we all, we know that feeling, don't we, of holding a, it's all right when they're newborn and they don't weigh very much, but once they're two and they weigh nearly a stone, you're like, oh my God, my back is killing yeah. me. Yeah, um, I remember being, eight, Pepper was 18 months old and I was about six months pregnant and she still would only go to sleep if we rocked her in our arms and she was still in a cot at that point so you're rocking her in her arms and then leaning over to try and put her down and um yeah all transparency we we went down the cry out route I knew nothing I knew I didn't want to do it I knew nothing about sleep training apart from the older generation in my family saying this is what you must do you must do this you're making a rod for your own back so I went against my better judgment and we tried it for two days and I was in absolute tears for both nights. And I just remember saying to Joss, this is not right. This does not feel right. This goes against every single bone in my body as a parent and the parenting that we've done up until this point. It's this, this is not right. Um, no. And so we obviously abandoned that method, realizing that mm. there was something not quite right with this. Um, and yeah, that wasn't went- suited, was it? It wasn't. And I no. could feel my mum instincts were saying to me, what the fuck are you doing? Like, yeah, this is against yeah. everything you've ever done for her as a parent in the last 18 months. What are you doing? So she's going, what the hell's happening right now? Of course, we Where are the one. We were the most responsive. Like she breastfed when she wanted. She was cuddled when she wanted. We'd rocked her to sleep every single night for her whole life. And all of a sudden mm. I put her in a cot and let her cry. She's like, well, what's happening? Obviously, yeah after two days of realizing this wasn't for us um yeah and yeah we persevered and she sleeps she sleeps great now um and I can't even remember where I was going with this story but yeah I just <laughs> oh they were talking about the rocking that was it um yeah yeah, yeah like we've been there we we and mm. yeah it takes its toll on your mental and your physical health it really does it really does and yeah. sleep deprivation is still used around the world as a form of torture for good reason <laughs> You can see why we're not just we're not just talking about oh man you know man up stick it out you know it won't be for long actually mm. what I've learned is that people's tolerance to sleep deprivation it differs massively I've had parents ring me two weeks after their baby's born mm. and I've had parents ring me for their ten year old yeah and they've done they've said we've done ten years of sleepless nights but we're done now yeah it's like yeah I get that <laughs> I'm amazed you lasted. I didn't last two years, so I'm amazed you've lasted 10. So like with Pepper's example then, can we use Mm. Pepper as an example? Yeah, absolutely. Pepper was used to being rocked to sleep. So Mm -hmm. being put down in a cot and having mum and dad leave the room and expecting her to know what to do, that was too much for her. You know, Mm -hmm. and that is no judgment, Gemma, because you did what everyone does. Like, well, you're going to have to learn to do it yourself at some point, so let's just give it a go, you know? And there's there's nothing wrong in giving those things a try. But for for Peppa, she was like, I don't understand what this is. Mm. But if you had taken a much, much slower approach, and this is something that perhaps if you were approaching me now, Gemma, back then, Mm -hmm. I'd be saying, okay, so for a start, there's no leaving the room. You're going to have to stay in the room with her because she's not ready for you to go. Mm -hmm. You could definitely put her down in the cot if, if, if easing your shoulder is important. Let's go with straight in the cot. And let's find some really lovely ways of comforting her from the cot that she's happy with and that you're happy with. And you just, you stay with her and I'll show you how to respond to her when she's, you know, when she's crying. We don't want to overload her with stimulation because that's going to hold her back from falling asleep. But Mm -hmm. we wanted to know that you're there and that if she has a need, you are there for it. Like that's why you're in the room. And when when she's asleep, you can sneak out. Mm -hmm. And then when she wakes up, you can come back. And you can resume that. And then over time, we call it gradual retreat. Baby goes, okay, yeah, this is okay, actually. I'm not being cuddled, but actually I like it when you put your hand on my back. Or I like hearing you shh because I know you're there. Yeah. And so what you can then do is go, okay, well, she's she's feeling happy with that. So let's move the chair. Let's get mm-hmm. you closer to the door. Yeah. And let's create that distance. But she still knows you're there. And mm-hmm. then even when you get to the point where you're about to leave the room, you can leave it ajar and the shushing she's come to take real comfort from, she can still hear you. And even yeah. when you get to the point where she's happy for you to shut the door, if you presumably you've got a baby monitor who doesn't have one of those these days, yeah. <laughs> that's got a button on it and you can go, shh, it's okay, mummy's here, shh. Mm-hmm. And she goes, oh, okay, yeah, great. I'll go to sleep then. Yeah. You know, that's what it's about. It's not about, okay, get on with it. It's about, okay, we're going to go really slowly. 
Yeah. And we're just going to take it one step at a time. Yeah, and just easing, easing in. Yeah. And I think if if I if you had approached me then, that's what I would have suggested you did, some kind of gradual retreat method. Yeah. How does breastfeeding fit into this? So you were still breastfeeding when you did sleep training with Amelia, right? And I continued to breastfeed after she was sleep trained. So because I think that's a lot of people think, oh, well, I can't I can't breastfeed if I um, sleep train or I have to wean through the night. What's your you thoughts on that? You don't have to that? do any of that. You don't have to do any of that. You don't. The the question, the, re, the 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 key questions are: Is night weaning something you actually want to achieve? Mm-hmm. Is your baby ready to stop feeding in the night? Like, is that appropriate for this yeah. age of child? <clears throat> but also, is the feeding? I know you said the word crutch earlier, didn't you? Yeah. Is the feeding? the cause of the waking or is that the only way little one knows how to fall asleep because mm-hmm. th- those things are important because if little one knows how to self-settle and can sleep as long as they need to and if mum knows okay in four or five hours they're going to need another feed well she can go in and do that without even waking them up mm. so as far as that little one knows they're sleeping as long as they needed and their needs were met in the night because that's what we're here for, right? We, we're meeting needs all the time. Yeah. Even if we're not giving in to every single one, we're <laughs> yeah. meeting all the needs and that's what's important. So is is the feeding, has that got too blurred with the sleep? Because in an ideal world, you want to keep those separate in the way that yeah. I've just described. So mm-hmm. if you want to feed to sleep, do it. Just be prepared to feed them every time they wake up because if that's how they're going to learn to fall asleep, that's going to apply every time they want to fall asleep. They yeah. don't know. Children, children, even my four-year-old, and I'm sure yours as well, Gemma, she, doesn't, she still doesn't have a great concept of time. At four and a half, she's no. about to start school. She doesn't fully understand like how long a week feels, mm-hmm. you know, those periods of time. So when children are much younger than that, they can't even differentiate between nighttime and daytime. They yeah. don't know the difference between a daytime nap and a nighttime sleep. They don't know that. All they know is sleep or awake. And if feeding to sleep, is that if that's their vehicle, mm-hmm. well, then you're going to have to do that every single time. And for a lot of parents, they are, just like your, your good self, Gemma, they are happy to do it. Great, go yeah. for it. And I was happy to do it for a long time. Um, but I, I guess it's, I've, I've heard this expression before. I'm not sure where I heard it, but if you're not prepared to do it at 2 a.m., don't do it at bedtime is something that I've heard. And I kind of agree with that in the sense, like if sleeping through is important to you for the reasons we've discussed earlier, you know, career and the house and what have you, if you need your sleep, well then mm-hmm. set them up for success. Don't, don't, don't do what's easy and expecting them to magically go through the night. There is skill involved. Yeah. And a lot of it I do think is down to the child because like Pepper, for example, yeah, totally. when I was feed, when I was breastfeeding them, they both fed to sleep every time they were put yeah. to the breast in the evenings, they mm. would fall to sleep. To me, yeah, that's very biologically normal. And obviously when yeah. you're breastfeeding, it's a good thing for your milk supply. Pepper, mm. um, once she stopped breastfeeding, she didn't, she would have a, she would have a, some milk before she went to bed, but she wouldn't necessarily wake in the night for milk. Um, mm. she, I think she associated that with the breast, the comfort of the breast, not necessarily the yeah. comfort of the milk. Um, yeah. but Indy, uh, she's two and a half or c- coming up to three. She won't go back to sleep or very, very hard to get her back to sleep without milk. And I know she isn't hungry, but the milk is her comfort and I'm not breastfeeding her anymore. She likes to have her baby bottle as she calls it and she must have it warm. She's very particular. Um, and I don't mind. It's, it's it's a rare occurrence now that she wakes in the night. But when she does, I know that that's what will get her back to sleep. And the same mm-hmm. in the daytime. If she's tired, she'll ask for milkies. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so I think there is definitely a difference between the children as well. So I knew that Pepper associated the breast with the comfort. Yes. Whereas, Whereas Indy, it's the perhaps milk. the suckling. But all yeah, could the be suckling. the suckling. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. And again, you know, whatever works for you, I'm not... And, I mean, I speak for the whole of the sleep nanny now because we are we are a bigger organization. It's not just me. None of us have some kind of agenda that we want to push down people's throats. You know, if you don't want to sleep train, then don't do it. You know, yeah. if it's not for you, don't do it. Don't don't come on board um, thinking we're going to make a 
wave a magic wand because that's not how it works either you know only do it if it aligns for you because then we can work together effectively you know but I think with the feeding to sleep thing I mean certainly with Amelia I can use Amelia as an example um it 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 was the she woke up because she wanted me to come in and breastfeed her but then she wasn't falling asleep on it anymore Mm-hmm. So then she was awake and frustrated that she hadn't fallen asleep because it had always worked before. But yeah. as she got older, it became less effective. And then we were in this cycle of, I ran in because I was, every time she cried, I was triggered because I had had such terrible feeding um, experiences in her early, early, early days that in my head, crying meant, oh, my baby's starving and I have to go in, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, it was just one of those things that I guess I was just in the habit of, I guess, or hardwired, or I don't know, but I was rushing in and I was feeding her and then I was doing everything I could and she was getting more and more cross and frustrated and she was getting stressed in the night. And this is the thing, she was shouting and screaming anyway. So I was like, (laughs) any crying that is involved in sleep training, surely it's not going to be worse than this. And actually Mm. it wasn't. It was so much calmer for her um, because the coach finally kept us consistent. She gave us one approach to use and rather than doing guesswork and going, we're going to try this tonight. Okay, now we're going to try this. She just kept us on one path and she took the time to get to know us and her and it it really made the difference. But with Amelia, the thing that made the difference was she had her breastfeed. Then she went into her cot awake. Mm-hmm. She had my comfort and support to fall asleep using her own skill. Mm. If she woke in the night, it was for a genuine need. Yeah. Lo and behold, she never woke for milk because she didn't need it. It was that she wanted me to come in. And I guess it was the cuddles, as you say, in the breasts and stuff. Yeah. But she, that's what she want, thought she wanted. But actually she didn't because it woke her up and then she was frustrated. So it didn't help her. It wasn't yeah. in her best interest because it caused her more stress. So if she woke up and like her nappy needed changing or whatever but again it was a rare occurrence by that once she developed the skill to set herself to sleep she then had the skill to take herself throughout the night and it meant that I could feed her when she went to bed bearing in mind she was like 18 months or something so she Mm. was she was older than a younger baby but she had her milk she went to sleep she slept through the night she woke up she had a breastfeed she's breastfed as much as she wanted through the day bearing in mind I went to work and she was at nursery a couple of days a week but that didn't matter you know when when I was there she fed whenever she wanted to and suddenly breastfeeding and sleep were two completely separate entities Mm. and it was like having your cake and eating it yeah and for us it was amazing and what so obviously you chose um the sleep nanny that that you you that you worked with based on a recommendation from someone else yeah how do you what do you offer like because obviously I always say to people about birth coaching you must pick the birth coach that's right for you and I know I'm not right for everyone my approach is not right Mm. for everyone and some people want something more holistic some people want something more related to meditation and that's cool so do you offer that kind of like have a chat with me make sure I'm the right one for you Mm, totally yeah absolutely um we have we have calls that you can book and it's just like okay let's evaluate like tell tell us what kind of a situation we're actually in like tell us tell us about the sleep like tell us what would need to change for us to get the sleep we want you know but there's no obligation to then sign up okay well now I'm your sleep coach and we're together for two weeks they can at the end of that call they can go actually do you know what that was a really valuable conversation and it's told me enough about it to know that now's not the right time for me to do this or actually I don't think this is right for us. Or they may think, they may say between themselves, I like the idea of sleep training, but I didn't vibe with that person. Maybe we could take another one of these calls with someone else. You know, there's no, yeah, there's no obligation. It's not like a, you're having this call because you're committing to two weeks without ever having met me. Because the thing is, I, I agree with you. I think having a rapport is really important, especially when you're talking about intimate things like childbirth. And also, I mean, your child, that is the most precious person to you in the world. You're not just going to listen to anybody. You need to listen to the right person. And if you're speaking to a person who is pushing things on you or telling you how you should do something or telling you what your sleep goals should be, or telling you that you've made a rod for your own back or telling you that you've made mistakes, then that person's probably not going to be the person you need. Yeah. Um, you know, you need someone who gets it. You need someone who goes, I've been there. I've made all those. And I, I say a lot, 
any mistake, I'm doing air quotes right now because I realize we're on a podcast (laughs) and people can't see me. Any mistake in air quotes you feel you've made, guaranteed I've made them all and then some. So there, you know, you you don't need to feel judged. We feel enough judgment in our society as women and mothers Mm. as it is, you know, without having to go to other professionals to be told well you did that wrong didn't you yeah. it's like okay great Cheers well, tell me tell me what I can yeah thank, thanks for making me feel even worse than I already did yeah um I completely agree with you I think you've, you've got to find the right person and when you don't and when you just rush into it or if you go into it with unrealistic expectation that's when you're disappointed mm. yeah definitely opinion. but that's probably the same with people you work with though right oh yeah so definitely in, like yeah yeah, and like I obviously have to always explain to people that like by working with someone like me, that doesn't mean you're going to get your dream birth. Birth can take different turns and, and things. But ultimately, by working with someone like me, you're going to be in charge of how you experience birth, whether that be the birth that you wanted, a birth that was a shocker to you, one that you didn't necessarily plan. But you have always the control of how you experience that journey. Um, and that's something that I think people need to remember that the tools and techniques that kind of I offer and it's, yeah, it's more just about experience rather than what you experience. Um, well, thank you so much. It's been really lovely chatting and I really appreciate you being so kind of honest and raw as well about your own experiences and your journey to motherhood. Cause I think that's something we don't all do enough is put our hands up and say, I've been there. It's hard. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, and yeah, hopefully everybody enjoyed. Um, yeah, and I'll speak to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Shits and Giggles Guide to Motherhood. I hope you enjoyed listening to the episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. If you love what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave me a review. Your feedback means the world to me and helps other mums discover the show too. If you want to hear more, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Mindful Mama Club. I love to chat, so always feel free to reach out. Join us again next time as we bring you more shits and giggles, inspiring conversations, amazing guests, and tips for you to boss your own motherhood adventure. Thank you for being a part of the MMC community. And until next time, keep smiling and being the bloody superhero woman that you are. Lots of love, Jen.